So I want to encourage you to uh, read Hebrews 10, 39 verses. I'm not going to read all 39 verses to you this morning for time's sake. I want to begin reading in verse 19. Then I'm going to give you an outline of the entire chapter. So Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. Therefore... Verse 19 begins with, therefore. Remember what I always say, you need to know what the therefore is there for. So when we get to verse 19, he's bringing to a conclusion of everything he's written prior to that. And I'm going to give you the outline of that when we finish reading here. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be brought, will be thought worthy? He who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing. And insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations. And partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. 
And if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this gospel. We thank you that you take this word and by the power of your Holy Spirit and plant it into the soil of our heart. God, plant it like a good seed in good soil and bring a harvest, a righteous harvest of holy fruit that you would be glorified through your church, through us, your people. Father, we ask that you would do this to your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 10, uh, Jesus is better. This is the theme of Hebrews. Jesus is better. And so I began reading in verse 19, there's 38 or 39 verses. So the first 19 verses of this chapter here, or the first 18 verses of this chapter here, um, the writer of Hebrews is continuing to enforce this truth that Jesus is better. And he says the law can never make us perfect. The law can never make us complete. Only Jesus can make us complete. Only Jesus can complete us. And it was through the continuous offering of animals, the blood of animals being continuously offered at the temple that reminded us that we were imperfect. And so the, the priests ministered daily in the temple, and daily there were lambs slain, and daily there were animals offered for sacrifice and offering for sin and for trespass. And every time the blood of an animal was shed, it was a reminder that we are imperfect and we need something and we need someone to make us perfect, to make us complete. But the point of the law was to never make us complete. The point of the law was to show our incompleteness. The point of the law was never to make us perfect. The point of the law was to show that we are imperfect and we need to be made perfect. We need to be made complete. We need to be made whole. The word salvation means whole. It's wholeness. So when God saves you, he doesn't just save you bodily. He doesn't just save your mind he doesn't just save your spirit. You are a person and you have a spirit, you have a soul, a mind, a will, and emotions, and you have a body. And that one person that is you possesses all three of those, a spirit, a mind, a body. And when Jesus saved you, he didn't just save one part of you. He didn't just save your spirit and said, well, one day I'll just discard your body and it'll be done with. No, he saved you spiritually. He saved you in your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so right now, part of this whole process that we call worship, of coming together, of assembling together, the point of this is the renewing of your mind. It is the saving of your soul. This is how your mind is renewed. This is part of it. 
This is how you are equipped to go out and do the work of ministry. And it's not just because you come and listen to a preacher preach, but we're going to see this in the, in the very text that we read, that you all have a part to play in the saving of each other. Now, we're not saved by each other, but we're saved with each other. We're saved as a part of each other. And so your salvation affects my salvation. The renewing of your mind affects the renewing of my mind. You're assembling here together to exhort me, and I'm assembled here to exhort you, and we're all assembled here to exhort one another. And so the point is, your salvation speaks of your whole person being saved, spiritually, your mind, your will, your emotions, and yes, your body. So we prayed for a bunch of people today who are sick and suffering, and we're believing God for miracles for those who are on the verge of death or looking at the prospect of, of living with very limited capacity in their physical body. But whatever is happening with our physical bodies here on this earth, that's a temporary state. We're all dying right now. We're sitting here, or we're standing here, and we're all dying right now. We're just in different stages of death. The, the Bible says that the inner man is being renewed day by day, but at the very same time, the outer man is perishing day by day. But the hope we have is not to find the secret of, uh, of eternal life in a fountain of youth or a beauty product that keeps our wrinkles away and our hair from turning gray. The, the, the promise that we have is that Jesus has overcome death and he has saved us, spirit, soul, and body. And even though this body is dying and even though this body will, will taste death one day, death can't hold me. And even this body that will one day go back to the grave, back to the dust where it came from, the Bible says. Even though it's going to go back to the dust, God will raise it up, a glorified, incorruptible, immortal body, just like Jesus had when he was raised up. So your salvation is not just one aspect of your being, it's your entire being. This is why it's important for you to nourish and to take care of your entire being. Yes, your body, take care of it. Yes, your spirit, feed it. And your mind, renew it on the word of God, with the things of God. And we do that by all the means that the Bible teaches us and reveals to us. And so the law can never make us perfect. Only Christ can make us complete. And John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he declared this. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The animals that were sacrificed in the tabernacle in the temple, the, that blood that was shed, that only covered our sin. It could not take away our sin. It was the grace of God that kept us from being destroyed because of our sinfulness. And that sacrifice of an animal was just a reminder that we are covered by the grace of God until the one who was prophesied, the one who was truly destined to come, 
The one that God even spoke of in the beginning in the garden when he says the seed of the woman will come and crush the head of the serpent. That was the promise of the coming Savior, the one who would come and save us completely, spirit, soul, and body. The Lord Jesus, he is the one who walked perfectly. He is the one whose blood doesn't just cover our sin, but takes away our sin. And so in the first four verses, it's a reminder. The law can't make you perfect. You Hebrews, don't go back to Jerusalem and look to the blood of an animal. Look to Jesus. And Jesus is not in a temple in Jerusalem. Jesus dwells in us. He lives in us, in our hearts, by the Holy Spirit. And then in verses 5 through 10, he tells them the death of Jesus was the will of God. It was the will of the Father that Jesus died. Jesus came to this earth to die so that our sins could be taken away. And there were Jews that were saying, listen, if Jesus was really the Messiah, why did he die? Because if he was really the Messiah, he wouldn't die. And the writer of Hebrews is reminding us that the death of Jesus was the fulfillment of God's will. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an accident. It was the preordained, predestined will of God that Jesus, the Son, be murdered by sinful men. They thought they were murdering someone and getting rid of someone, but in reality, God sent him for that exact purpose so that the sacrifice and the shedding of his blood would take away the sins of those whom God sanctified. In fact, it goes on in here in verses in verses 5, it says that God never had, in verse 6, God never took pleasure in burnt offerings for sin. But it says God takes pleasure in those who do his will. And this is the will of God, and this is the work of God, that we believe in him whom he sent. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 6. When Jesus did the miracle of multiplying the loaves and the fishes, the people says, we want to do the work of God too. And Jesus said, this is the work of God. And this is the will of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. In other words, Jesus said, this is the will of God. Believe in me. Look to me. Trust in me. It's not the miracles. It's me. It's not the loaves and the fishes, it's me. It's not the animals being sacrificed in the temple. It's me, Jesus said. Look to me, trust in me. This is the will of God. So the death of Christ fulfilled the will of God. And the death of Christ perfects those that God eternally sets apart by his will. That word sanctify means to set apart. Now look at this. Let me read to you. Let me read beginning in verse 9, Hebrews 10, 9. So he's quoting here from the psalm. Verse 9, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. This is speaking of Jesus. He takes away the first that he may 
establish the second by that will. By what will? By the will of God. Jesus says, I came to do the Father's will. I didn't come to do my will. And this is what the psalmist is writing of, speaking of Jesus, prophesying of Jesus. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. Verse 10, by that will, by the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. In other words, the death of Christ was the will of God. And the death of Christ, by the will of God, perfects us, completes us, who have been set apart by that will. You are set apart today because of the will of God. God has set you apart for himself. And God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, and when Jesus shed his blood, he purified you whom he had set apart. Just like in the temple, the articles in the temple were purified by blood. So when Moses and the children of Israel built all of those things in the tabernacle, and they built all that gold furniture, and they put it in the temple, you know what God told them to do? Now get it in place, and now take blood and purify it. Now how many of you, when you build a brand new house and put nice, shiny gold furniture in your your, your room's there in your living room. Then you go out and you slaughter an animal and you go get some blood and you just sling blood all over that brand new stuff you just put in your house. Well, you don't do that, but that's what God does. Because God says it's got to be purified and only by blood will it be purified. Now, why would God do that? I mean, why would God take a perfectly brand new gold piece of furniture and then tell someone to go throw blood on it? You or I would think that sounds kind of strange. Let me just say it that way. But for God, it made perfect sense. And if we realize what God was showing us in doing that, that, that it's purified by blood, guess how we are purified by the blood of Jesus? Guess what all those articles and all those pieces of furniture in the temple and the tabernacle, they all represented Jesus. And the point now is, the Bible says, we are the house of God. Well, how are we purified? The same way those things were purified, by blood, but not by the blood of bulls and goats, not by the blood of animals, because those can't purify us. Those can't make us complete. No, it required a better sacrifice. And so God sent his son, his only begotten son, the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And God sent his son and his son shed his blood. And God has sprinkled us with the blood of his son and has purified us and washed us with water. Now, I'm not talking H2O. That's also symbolic. The water that he's washed us with is the water of his word. What that water represents is the washing of the water of the word of God. It's the washing of the word. And it's the washing of the spirit. It's the spirit that takes the word of God and illuminates it within us and causes that word to wash our minds, to renew our minds. 
It's the blood that was sprinkled on our hearts that purifies us and makes us clean so that we can be set apart for God's service. And we are purified and we are washed, we are sprinkled, we are made clean by the will of God. What did Jesus come to do? Jesus said, I came to do the will of my Father. It's written of me in the volume of the book. He said, you gave me a body. You're not pleased by the burnt offerings of bulls and of goats, but you gave me a body. This is the Son speaking of what the Father did. The Father fitted a body for Jesus. Why? So that Jesus could die bodily so that he could offer up himself bodily and shed his own blood so that you and I and all others who are in Christ could be sprinkled and cleansed and purified by the only blood that can clean us, the blood of Jesus. And having been purified by his blood, we are set apart and we are being eternal eternally set apart. In other words, there's no expiration date. There's no expiration date on our completeness, on our sanctification. Paul writes in Colossians that we are complete in Christ. And we see that God does not go back on his word. And so God sent his son so that we could be made perfect and complete. Jesus offered himself up a sacrifice. No man took his life. He freely gave his life. And when he gave his life and shed his blood, he cleansed us. He purified us who are being, as the writer says, sanctified or set apart. And this is by the will of God. Then he writes this in verse 15. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses for us. So the writer of Hebrews talks about that Jesus spoke these things. We have the words of Jesus. But Jesus didn't just speak. He didn't just from heaven boom a loud voice and tell us what he was going to do. No, Jesus actually came to this earth And he was born of a virgin, and he grew up, and he lived an obedient life. And Jesus was obedient even to the point of death, Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes to the Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on and he says in that chapter, he says that Jesus was obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. We have the witness of Jesus' life, the witness of his obedience, the actual carrying out of the word of God, the will of God. And we have the witness now in us, the witness of the Holy Spirit. We don't just have the history of what God did recorded for us in the Bible. We don't just have the knowledge of what Christ did Revealed to us in the word of God. 
But the Bible says that now we have the Spirit that lives in us. And the Holy Spirit gives witness to the will of God. Now, how does he do that? And this is the writer's point. When he says, listen, you guys want to go back and live under that old covenant? Jesus came and he brought a better covenant based on better promises. Moses had the commandments of God written on tablets of stone, but Jeremiah spoke of a day that was coming when God would not write on tablets of stone, but he would write in our hearts and in our minds. And the point is, the the Old Testament scripture says, Ezekiel says that we have stone-cold hearts. And we need new hearts. And God will take our cold, stony heart and give us a new heart of flesh. And he'll take that new heart of flesh and he'll write his law. And he'll write his commandments in our hearts. He does that by the Holy Spirit. You notice that God's not writing on stone anymore. God's not going to write on your stony heart, your cold heart. You have to have a new heart before God writes his law and writes his commandments in your heart and in your mind. You need a new heart and you need a new mind. You need a heart that only God can give you and you need the, the mind of Christ. And when you're born again, the Bible says you receive both of those. You receive a new heart and you now have the mind of Christ. And now what we do is we renew our mind, our old mind that has all the memories of our sinful life and our old man and our old nature, we renew that old mind to the mind of Christ that we now have by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? We do that by the work of the Spirit that lives on the inside of us. So when you read your Bible, it is the Spirit of God on the inside of you that's bringing illumination. You say, well, I don't always feel illuminated when I read my Bible. Sometimes I just feel confused. That's all right. You just keep reading. You just keep washing your mind with the water of the Word and trust that it's the Word that's working in you. It's God working in you by His Spirit. You just be faithful to continue to plant and to water, to plant and to water and be mindful and know that it's God who brings the increase and God knows how to bring the increase and when to bring the increase. But you just be faithful. So the Holy Spirit gives us witness. The Spirit himself, Romans eight sixteen, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Ephesians 1.13, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. So the Spirit of God in us gives us witness. It bears witness of the will of God made a reality for us in Christ Jesus. And we come to verse 19. And we have, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. We're not coming by an old way. We're coming by a new. We're not coming by a dead way. We're coming by a living way. 
coming by a new and living way, which he, which Jesus consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. That veil in the temple, that veil in the tabernacle was there. It symbolized the flesh of Jesus that would one day be torn so that we could enter into the presence of God. And here in these verses from verse 19 on, we see, look at this, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, and he tells us about that way and how that way came to be, and that we have a high priest over the house of God now. Therefore, because of all these things that we've talked about, Therefore, let us, you need to see the therefore and you need to see the let us. Therefore, let us draw near with a true heart. Because of what Jesus did, we can now draw near to God. Therefore, let us draw near, not timidly, not fearfully, but let us draw near with full assurance of faith. With a true heart and full assurance of faith. Look at this. Having our hearts sprinkled. Sprinkled with what? Sprinkled with the blood of Jesus from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Your bodies. This reminds me of Paul's Letter to the Romans where he says, Brethren, I beg you by the mercies of God to present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Therefore, no longer being conformed to this world, but what? But being transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Have you ever noticed that your body does what your mind tells it to do? And when your body will not do what your mind is telling it to do, that's not normal. That's, that's a problem. God, in a functioning body, created our mind to send signals to our body, and it's our mind that directs our body what to do. Why is it important for us to renew our mind? Because a renewed mind is going to dictate how we live our life, how we walk, how we talk, how, how we do everything, how we live out our faith. And so when the Bible, when we go back to Hebrews and we talk about the wash, our bodies washed with water, this is a picture of having our mind washed with the Word of God so that we're living out and walking according to the Spirit and no longer fulfilling the lust of the flesh. The picture of baptism being washed with the water of God is a picture of us being buried with Christ and why are we buried? Because we died. So it's a picture of our old man, our old nature, our old sinful man, dead and buried. And what are we doing? We're being raised up in a new life. And what do we do with that new life? We live it out. We express it. According to who? According to Jesus not according to who we were before, not according to the course of this world, but now we live according to the course that Jesus has set for us and that Jesus has demonstrated for us. So therefore, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us consider one another, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. All of these are commandments that require our active obedience. We're to live a life of drawing near to God with a heart that is true. What's in our heart will ultimately come out of our life. If God has written his law in our heart and in our minds, then his truth and his life will manifest in us in full assurance of faith. We're to live a life of holding fast our confession. The steadfast confession of our hope without wavering is the product of God's spirit dwelling in us and working in us. It's not our own ability. It's not our own strength. It's not our own will. It's our ability to hold fast without wavering. It's not based on our power and ability, but it's based on His saving power and His grace working in us as we work out our own salvation with fear. You can't work out your own salvation with fear and trembling if God is not working in you. If God is not working in you, you have no salvation to work out. You're lost. The only way you can work out your salvation with fear and trembling is to be saved and to have God working in you. If he's not, then you have no salvation. We're to live a life of regularly assembling together out of love for God and out of love for one another. The command that we consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but exhorting one another is a command that requires us to act with purpose. We are not simply assembling to assemble. We assemble in consideration of God and of one another to stir up love and good works, to exhort one another onward in the faith to maturity. One of the most important things that we do every Sunday morning when we assemble together is to come to this table. And this table reminds us of this covenant that Jesus has brought to us and established for us a better covenant based on better promises. We eat the bread and we drink the cup. We proclaim his body and we proclaim his blood because it's only by his body and his blood that we have been sprinkled and we have been cleansed and made acceptable to the Father. None of these commandments are conditional upon convenience. All of these commandments require our obedience. And our life should be one of drawing near to God, of holding fast the confession of our hope, and of considering one another by assembling together. All of these together give witness to our love and our worship of God and our love and our consideration for one another. And this is what it looks like to live by faith. Then in verse 26, he says, if we willfully sin. What we need to understand as he goes into this discourse here, and he reminds them, if we willfully sin after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice of sin. We have to remember the context of this letter. He's writing to these Jews who want to go back to Jerusalem and sacrifice animals in the temple, who somehow believe that the blood of Jesus is not sufficient to atone for their sin. 
whatever reason they want to go back, the act of going back and sacrificing animals and applying the blood of an animal for anything after you have professed faith in Jesus and you have come to realize that Jesus is the sacrifice. The law can't make us complete. If we go back and do that, we are willfully sinning. We are willfully rejecting what Christ has done for us. And if we reject the atonement that Christ has brought us, there is no atonement for us. Because if the blood of Jesus can't atone for our sin, then the blood of an animal will never be able to do that. And so he issues another very dire warning to these believers. He says, if you go back, the only thing that awaits you is certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. They know that the destruction of Jerusalem and that temple is coming because Jesus told them it was. And we know historically it happened in 70 AD. It was just a few years before that this letter was written. And he's warning them, you go back and you could be caught in that judgment. And he continues and he warns them and he reminds them that God does not take our sin lightly. That if we reject what Jesus has given to us, there is no hope for us. If we reject the atonement in Jesus, there is nothing that can atone for our sins. So he's pleading with these believers, please do not reject what Jesus has given to you. Don't go back. Because your action of going back is going to be a rejection. And if you can reject Jesus and his blood and his sacrifice, then there is nothing, there is nothing that can provide that for you. Verse 35, he says, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, don't cast away your confidence in Jesus. Hard things happen. Bad things happen. Difficult things. Somebody told me yesterday, life is hard. I said, yes, it is. Don't cast away your confidence in the Lord because life is hard. Because hard things come to you in life. Don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Do the will of God. Endure in the will of God, that you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he is coming, and he will come, and he will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. The just shall live by faith. Is that you? Are you just? Well, you are just if you have been justified by the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't justify yourself. You can only be justified by Jesus. And if you have been justified by Jesus then live by faith. Live by faith in what Jesus has done. Live by faith in what Jesus provides. 
Live by faith, not by what you can see, not by what you experience in this world and in this flesh. Live by faith in what God has declared and what God has promised. And then verse 39, the last verse. He comes back around and he gives them hope. And he shows them the faith he has in the salvation he believes that God has given to these believers. In other words, he's giving them the benefit of the doubt. He says, but we are not of those who draw back. He uses the inclusive. He doesn't say, but I am not. He says, but we are not. He's saying, brothers, sisters, believers, I'm going to count you as believers. We are not of those who draw back to perdition, but we are those who believe to the saving of the soul. Those who are saved will endure to the end. You're not going to be saved because you endured. You're going to endure because you were saved. If you depart and you leave, the only hope that you have, which is the Lord Jesus, this is what John writes in his epistle. He says, they left us because they were not of us. Endure. If you've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, then live by faith. Walk by faith. Endure by faith. Live a faithful life. Because we are not those who draw back to perdition, but we are those who believe to the saving of the soul. Amen? Let's get ready and come to the table. You don't have to be a member of Christ Fellowship Church, but a covenant member of His body. And as you trust in Jesus, whether it's childlike faith or whether it's in the midst of your questions, God's not afraid of your questions, but if you know your hope is in Jesus, I invite you to come to the table. We'll take the elements and then we'll come back uh, together and we'll take them all together. Christian, come to the table. Let's all stand. I'm going to give you your uh, charge and uh, I'm going to pray for the food. Then we'll sing the doxology and then we'll quickly set up the tables and we're going to be ready to eat. I hope you all join us. We have plenty of food. And uh, would really, really like for everyone to stay for lunch. Uh, just give us the Spirit of God directs to benefit our missionaries. This is how we raise funds each month to support them, that they can continue to do the work that they do, and they can count on our faithful support. Here's your charge, church. It's very simple. It's to live a faithful life. We are called to live faithful lives, to faithfully draw near to God, to faithfully hold fast our confession of hope, and to faithfully consider one another, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but coming together to exhort one another in love for God and love for one another, so that we see we cannot truly 
be faithful to God if we are not faithful to one another. And we cannot consider God without considering one another. Our faithfulness or our lack of faithfulness impacts the entire body, not just ourselves. So we are charged to be faithful. We have been justified by the blood of Jesus, so the just shall live by faith. So let us purpose to be a people who will live faithfully for the glory of God. Amen.